Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Well, we are, if you've been sleeping, 19 days into a brand new year, a brand new decade. 2020 is 19 days old, and that means... For some of you in the room and for people all over the world, 19 days since they made their New Year's resolutions. Now, we're not going to do a show of hands here this morning, but uh, some of you, when I said New Year's resolutions, in my experience, that really puts people into one of two camps. One kind of roll their eyes at the whole notion of New Year's resolutions because of what I'm going to talk about here in a minute. But others of you maybe sit up in your seat because that kind of fired something up in you because you love the idea of New Year's resolutions. And I'm going to go ahead and out myself so you can judge me. That is me. I love New Year's resolutions. I'm a goal setter. Uh, I kind of get, you find me in between Christmas and New Year's in a corner somewhere with a journal mapping out my next year. And I can't say whether or not I've completed all of my resolutions, but I definitely enjoy setting them. And of course, some of you think that's ridiculous and I understand that and we'll get there. And there's a reason why, by the way, you probably think that. But the 2020 New Year's resolutions have come out, the top resolutions, now that we're a few weeks in. And uh, I wanted to give them to you as we begin our time together today. These are the 2020 New Year's resolutions that topped the list. Here's the very first one. And I thought this one was very awesome. Number one resolution of 2020, actually doing my New Year's resolution. That's a good one, right? Like, I'm just going to resolve to do what I said I'm going to do. And then, of course, the next four really trend alongside every other year. You could probably fill in the blanks. Here's the, the next four top resolutions of 2020. Lose weight, go to the gym, be more healthy, and stay motivated, right? Most of us could probably fill in the blanks with what we think those people would say, this is what I want to resolve to do. And if you talk to those people, if you talk to somebody like me on January the 1st, let me tell you what you're going to find. A motivated, passionate individual who is ready to tackle 364 more days of a resolution. We are, you could say, as our series title shows, devoted. What does that word mean? Devoted is simply a word that means passionately dedicated or loyal to a cause or activity. You talk to resolution makers on January 1, they're gonna be passionately dedicated or loyal to the cause or activity that they have set forth for this year. So, 19 days in, and some of you guys know where this is going. Some stats have already come out. Did you know that the majority of people actually jump ship on their resolution by January the 10th? Say, yep, that's about what I thought. We are so passionately dedicated and loyal to the cause that we don't even make it two weeks. Right? Here's what that shows us. That shows us that there wasn't much devotion. Maybe there was some interest. Right? Maybe there was some intrigue to a new lifestyle. But you can't really say these people, and myself included, were passionately dedicated or loyal to a cause or activity. 
See, we're in this series we've been in. This is the third week of this as we begin a new year here at Hope called Devoted. And we are talking about some really, really important things. In fact, we are saying these are things that really matter that we're pursuing together. And these are not things that Hope Church is interested or intrigued in. No, these are things that since our church began in 2001, we are devoted to. We really are passionately dedicated and loyal to these things. And we're getting it right out of God's word. And so we've been tracking through a certain passage of scripture for the last three weeks. And we're going to conclude that today. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, we're going to read a story about an exploding church. This is, a, this is a church where people are meeting Jesus and there is all kinds of growth. And then some problems arise and the leaders of that church say, wait, 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 we need to set our priorities straight. And we're going to lay out some things that really matter. So for us as a church heading into a new year, we just want to remind ourselves, what are the things that really matter at Hope Church that we are devoted to right out of God's word. So we're going to read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6, and then we're going to unpack some things from the Bible today. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of God's word, it's going to be right here on the screen next to me. Here's what it says. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, remember this is a growing church, a complaint arose on part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation for the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon, and some of you guys are hoping that it would say Pumbaa next, but it doesn't. Just says Timon and Parnamis and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Just talking about the guys that, that they raised up. And these they brought before the apostles and after praying, they laid their hands on them. We've studied those, those verses up until today. And here's where we're going to spend our time together today. Verse 7, the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So Pastor Vance unpacked this passage the last couple weeks. Basically, it's what I said. There is a growing church, right? Jesus has died for the sin of the world. He has resurrected. He has empowered these new disciples. And now there is an explosion of growth in the, in, in the New Testament church. We are seeing in this passage the explosion of what we now know as the followers of Jesus as the church. The kingdom is being expanded on the earth. And so some problems, because it's a growing church, arise. And the leaders say, hey, we need to set our priorities straight. So we see in these verses that we've been studying really three things that we are seeing that they were devoted to that we as a church are going to be devoted to. Not just in 2020, but in 2025 and in 2030. This is what the word of God has for us as a church. This year, we must seek the Lord. This is review. If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, could you go online and listen to Pastor Vance's sermons? But we're going to seek the Lord primarily by prioritizing the word of God and prayer together. So we're going to seek the Lord. This year, we must serve one another. Pastor Vance challenged us out of the word of God last week. If you are not serving at our church, we need you. We need God in you. If you are sitting on the sidelines right now to jump in and to serve as a part of this body, we will serve each other. And then finally, what we're going to talk about today, this year, we must spread the word. 
Now, it's important to understand this last one is an overflow of these first two, right? This isn't like a menu. You get to pick and choose, and I get to pick and choose which one I'd rather do. I think I'll serve, and and I don't really care about seeking the Lord or spreading the word. I'm just going to serve or vice versa. This is as they sought the Lord, they were serving one another, doing life together, and out of that overflow, which is what we're going to spend our time together today, the word of God spread you got to remember, this is an actual story that happened. A lot of times, if, if I'm being honest, sometimes I'm guilty of kind of looking at the Bible from a far off distance, thinking that these are kind of fairy tale, fairyland stories that didn't actually happen. This is a real story of real people and a real problem that arose. And so here it is, like we said, a hundred and something people were in an upper room with Jesus witnessing the resurrected Christ and he empowered them with the Holy Spirit and gave them a mission and this thing is exploding. Historians tell us right now where we're reading, there's probably about 20,000 people that are a part of the Christian church. Fast forward a couple thousand years, here we are, January 19th, 2020 at Hope Church. We are a part of a massive kingdom where two billion plus people on planet earth say, I am a follower of Jesus. How on earth did that happen? Out of the overflow of Christians, Jesus followers seeking the Lord and serving one another, Acts chapter 6 verse 7 happened. The word of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase. And here we are today. I'm not trying to over-dramatize it or over-spiritualize it. You and I are here today because Acts chapter 6 verse 7 is true. As people sought the Lord and served one another, the word of God kept spreading and kept spreading and kept spreading and kept spreading. And here we are today as Jesus followers being beneficiaries of that. Your life is a byproduct. If you're a Jesus follower today, your life is a byproduct of these people and people just like them over the centuries seeking the Lord, serving one another. And out of the overflow of that, the word of God kept on spreading. So we're going to be devoted to that as a church, to continuing that legacy. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at this verse. And there's really three truths that that we've discovered out of this verse that I want to share with you today. I'm going to give them to you up front. And we're going to spend the remainder of our time just kind of walking through each of these three truths from Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Here they are. In this passage, we see that the gospel was being shared, number one. Secondly, we're going to unpack all this. Right? That's coming up. Number two, disciples were being made. The gospel was being shared. Disciples were being made. And here's number three. The city was being impacted. You say, I didn't quite get that out of verse 7. That's what we're going to spend our time unpacking. Here are the three things we see in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So really there's three challenges for us that I want us to leave with today. And here's the first one. We must share the gospel. It says right there, the word of God kept on spreading. That's the very first few words in this verse. The word of God kept on spreading. And it's important to understand a lot of times we refer to the Bible as the word of God. And it, this passage is not saying that the Bible continued to spread, although that's kind of true in part. What's it saying? This is referring to the story of the Bible continued to spread. You say, what's the story of the Bible? Very simply, the story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. It is the redeeming story of Jesus. And and I don't want to take for granted what you may or may not think about this word. There's a lot of people here today. There'll be a lot of people that gather at Hope Church, and we can't just explain the word of God and expect everyone to be on the same page by what we mean. When we say that the Bible is the story of Jesus, that's new for some of you. Because some of you have honestly looked at this as an old ancient book that has no relevance for your life. This This is a book that tells me that I'm living the wrong way. Some of you might think. 
Or some of you might think this is, this is a, a kind of an inspirational book that, that, that a lot of people use to put some, some Bible verses on coffee cups or Hobby Lobby's made a fortune putting a bunch of stuff all over decorations for your house off of the Bible. Is that what it is? It's just this inspiration for some decorations. No, the Bible, although those are great things, is the story of Jesus. From beginning to end, it tells one story. Jesus came to redeem people that needed to be redeemed. That is the story of the Bible. And so when we're talking about the the word of God kept spreading, really we're talking about the gospel, which begs the question, what is the gospel and how do we share it? Now, I know as soon as some of I say that, some of you are thinking, man, I've been at church for a really long time. I know the answer to this question and praise God. I hope you know the answer to this question. But what this question does, it's it's, it's for me what I like to call a, a gospel reminder. What that means is if you've been a Christian for a long time and you understand the gospel and you embrace the gospel, when you hear gospel reminders, it's like a little high five to your faith to say, yes, that is for you today. That's how Jesus saved you today. So we are going to have a little gospel reminder. For some of you, though, this is going to be brand new information. When I first heard the gospel, I had never heard it the way I heard it. Somebody unpacked for me what we're going to just sit around for just a few minutes and unpack this word gospel. So maybe that's you today. Maybe this will be the first time you hear really what that word and what that message is. The word gospel very simply means good news. That's literally what the word gospel means, good news. And, of course, we understand in order for there to be good news, we have to understand the whole story, which is the bad news. So there's a lot of places we could go in Scripture to see the bad news of our state before Jesus. But as I was reading in my God time this week, just journeying through the book of Psalms, I came across Psalms 14, verse 3, a really simple way of unpacking what is the bad news. Here's what Psalm 14, 3 says. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. You say, who is that talking about? The reality is that is talking about every single human being that's ever lived. That is talking about all people born into this world. Why? Because we are born into this world. It says that no one does good, not even one. What does that mean? We are born into this world sinners. We are born into this world. We, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And I did not just say the same thing. You say, what do you mean? I didn't just do one bad thing one day and now I became a sinner. No, it's deeper than that. I was born into this world broken and because of that I do sin. See, that's kind of confusing. Well, it is kind of confusing. And when, you, when you're trying to explain it to little kids, it gets even more confusing. And my wife and I discovered that. We have little kids, and we understand what, the, what, what, what theologians call the doctrine of original sin. What is that? That means you and I are born into this world broken. So how do you tell a two-year-old who's being disobedient that, that they are sinners, you know, sinners in the hand of an angry God? Like, you, you are sinners before God, even though you're beautiful and cute. How do you tell a little kid that? So my wife and I began what... What started as a parenting tactic, but honestly has really ministered and God's used it in our lives as my kids continue to grow. How we framed it up for our kids is like this. We told our kids from very early age that you and I, mommy and daddy and you, we are all born into this world with ugly hearts. Say, so what does that mean? It means that you were born into this world with an ugly heart. And guess what? You have to fight your ugly heart. When you want to disobey or when you want to push your sister or when you want to steal something or tell a lie, you have to fight your ugly heart. But here's the problem. In and of ourselves, we have no power to fight our ugly heart because we have ugly hearts. And so we are dead and we are hopeless and helpless unless somebody comes in to do something about our ugly hearts. And that's where the good news comes in. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again, maybe you've heard that a million times. Praise God. High five your faith and say, I believe that and I embrace that because that's my hope. That's my life. That is the gospel. Christ in our place for our sin, resurrected to give us life and to defeat hell and, the vi- and give us victory in Christ. So now when we have those moments where we sin and we say things we shouldn't say and we do things we shouldn't do, we have the ability to fight our ugly heart, not in ourselves, but in Christ who has paid our, our penalty, who has taken in our place. That is the good news. You say, I know that. that. That's the good news that saved me. If you're a Christian, that is the good news that saved you. But that's also the good news that today is sustaining you. This is why this is important to have these gospel reminders, because you and I need to preach the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis. When I sit down and have counseling meetings or I'm walking people through some, some issues in their lives or some sin issues, here's what I, I don't do. I don't give them seven steps to help them get better and happier. I remind them of who they are in Christ. I remind them that they can't do it, but he's already done it. I remind them they don't have the strength, but the strength has been supplied to them through Christ. I remind them of the gospel. So that is the gospel. And I love what Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City. I love the way he framed up this idea of keeping the gospel close to us as Jesus followers. Here's what Tim Keller said. The gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniffling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. This is a gospel reminder. If you come to Hope, we rally around this every single week. It is literally all we are going to talk about. We're going to package it in different ways, but we are constantly wanting to remind you of the gospel. Why? Because we understand it is the only message that can truly help you in your life. It's the only message that really has the power to heal what's broken in you. You'll never hear what I like to call fortune cookie messages up here that kind of make you feel better for the moment. Because those fortune cookie messages that make you feel better for the moment are never a remedy to actually fix what's broken. It's a covering. It's a band-aid. We want to get, there's nothing but the gospel that can fix what's fractured at the soul level. But the good news of Jesus. So we preach the gospel. It's not how we start the Christian life. It is the Christian life. This good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for us sinners undeserving. He has given us grace. What is grace? What a beautiful word. Grace is, we just sang it, oh, for grace to love you more. What is grace? Grace is an undeserved gift. It was given to us. Nothing that we did, given to us. And here's the thing, just like any gift, we share it. Right, think about it. Let's, let's, let's leave spiritual land for a second, okay? When we get a gift, we tell people about it. Rewind a few weeks ago to Christmas, Right? You could go on Instagram, you could go on Facebook, you can, you can look at your text messages. What happened? Everybody in your circle was telling you what you, they got for Christmas, and you were telling them what they got for Christmas. Why? It's in us to share when we get gifts. Right? I, I can't wait to tell you what my, my husband got me, or my, my wife got me, or my brother got me, or my mother got me. Here is what I received for Christmas. That's the first question people ask when they call you on Christmas. Merry Christmas. So what did you get? We are naturally always talking about the gifts that we get. 
Social media, of course, has, has made this more, this idea of sharing more, uh, more accessible, right? Sometimes people are sharing things and everyone's kind of asking the question, like, why are they sharing that? But we have the ability to share, so we share. Way before any of that, Jesus gave us a command and it was simply in line with that. Hey, when you get a gift, I want you to share it. He said in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Is this Jesus giving this really crazy hard command to us? No, he's saying, hey, you've been given a gift. I just want you to tell people about that gift. For whatever reason, when it comes to the gift of salvation, the only thing that can truly change people's lives, we want to hide it like it's some sort of top secret. I'm included. We share the gospel. And at Hope, honestly, the last six months or so, we've been really beating this drum. It's been something we've been on top of all the time, saying we want you to know as a church family how to share the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus. Why have we been beating this drum? Because we believe the New Testament really beats this drum. I've said it before on this stage, but you can't find someone in the New Testament who has a genuine experience with Jesus Christ and walks away and doesn't tell everybody that they know about it. Even people that he asked not to, their stories, and you'll read them in the Bible. You'll read them in the Gospels. He'll walk up to somebody and heal them, and he's trying to keep it on the down low a little bit. He's trying to be low key, and he'll say, hey, don't tell anybody about this little healing. And literally the next verse, it says, the dude went into his town and told everyone he knows. People who have genuine experience with Jesus, they can't shut up about it when they leave his presence. So we share the gospel. I've been challenged by this in my own heart. I've been challenged by this reality. And, and you remember uh, at, at the end of last year, we had a big board over here. We were, we were challenging our church. Hey, what is, who are some people in your lives? Who's one person in your life that you could take to coffee or lunch this week or have a conversation at the water cooler in the office and have a conversation about Jesus? Who's one person you could share the gospel with? And praise God, we had over 300 names written down on that board that people that Hope Church shared the gospel with. 300 names. Can we just give God praise for that for a second? And here's what we have to fight in our hearts. We are so, a lot of times in our culture, we hear numbers and which is big numbers on the news and all this stuff. And so we hear a, a number like 300. That is 300 conversations about the good news of Jesus that happen in your circles of influence. And that is an amazing, amazing thing. Remember, it is your job to share that message. But here's the important reminder as you have conversations about the gospel. It's your job to share and it's God's job to save. That's important. Because a lot of times, if you're like me, you can get worked up. Like, what if they ask a question I don't know? And what if, what, if they, what if they say something about a Bible verse that they saw on Facebook and it tears it apart and I feel like I'm weak in my faith and I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. Listen, it is your job to share and it is God's job to save. We don't save anybody. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you know, how many degrees you have. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the seminary. You have the power, zero power to save anybody, but God does. And he has given you the power to share. He has given you a story to share, and he saves. So that's the first command. We see that the word of God kept spreading. How did that happen? People who love Jesus sharing the gospel. That's how the word of God kept, kept spreading. And, and like I said, I'm challenged by this. Just being transparent. There's times where I get so worked up and I get so, I get so busy with my stuff. I got, I got a wife and kids and a job and, and life. And all of a sudden I look down the road and it's been several weeks or months since I've shared the most important thing in my life with another person. We get so wrapped up in, in our, our stuff that we forget to, to share the, the only thing that can truly change someone's life. That is the gospel. So 
As we are looking at this idea of being devoted to seeing the word of God spread, we must share the gospel. Here's the second thing. We must make disciples. It said there, the, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. That's a good church word, right? Disciple. Again, maybe you know what that means. Maybe you don't. We're going to unpack it because really when you, when you say we must make disciples, that begs the question, what is a disciple and how do you make them? What is a disciple? Very, very simply, the, literally the word means student or apprentice. You look up the, the Greek word for disciple, it is literally student or apprentice. I love this idea. As the gospel continued to spread, the number of Jesus students or Jesus apprentices continued to increase. Several years ago, we used to meet, if you didn't know, at Silverado High School in the gym. We used to set up and tear down every week at Silverado High School. And I remember Pastor Vance giving a two-week message series on this idea of discipling. What does it look like for you and I to be disciple makers? And he gave a really, I thought, clear definition of the word disciple. We know it means student and teacher, but here's a little bit more meat. A disciple is a Jesus follower growing in relationship with God and with other believers. So we are, as the church, as we are pursuing God, as we are serving one another, we're sharing the gospel and we are making disciples. We are making Jesus followers. We are growing into a relationship with God and other believers. The first Bible verse, I gave my life to Christ in high school. And I remember one of the guys that was walking with me gave me a Bible verse to memorize. My first scripture that I ever memorized was Matthew chapter 28, the last two verses, 19 and 20. Here's what it says in God's word. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Did you see what Jesus said? By the way, this is one of the last things that Jesus said to his followers. He's already been uh, crucified and resurrected and he came back to life and now he's been teaching them. And right before he goes to heaven and sends them the Holy Spirit, he says to them, go therefore and make disciples. This is important because that's kind of the main thing he is giving, the main mission he is giving us. Notice he doesn't say, go therefore and make really big churches. He doesn't say, go therefore and, and make really quality, great Christian music. He doesn't say, go therefore and, and walk in a morally upright Christian way. Listen, those are amazing things and we should do those things. But he is saying that is not the main thing. If you're like me, sometimes I get caught up in a lot of meaningful things that I miss the main thing. And Jesus is saying, here's the main thing. Make disciples. How? He says, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. Don't miss this. He says, baptizing them. What does that mean? That's as you share the gospel, guess what's going to happen? What we celebrated today. People are going to meet Jesus. And as a symbol of their relationship with Jesus, their new walk of faith with Christ, they're going to be baptized. So he's saying, reach new people for Jesus. That's baptizing them. And then what? Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. That's this topic of discipleship. It is a growing apprenticeship, a student-teacher relationship. It's not just about getting people saved. That's amazing. But it's about teaching them to observe what Jesus has said. I love what John Wesley, an old school theologian, said. He said, the church changes the world not by making converts, but by making disciples. What's cool about that is he wrote that in the 1700s, way before this mega church movement that has kind of reinvigorated some silly things we're doing to get a bunch of people in seats. It's not about getting a bunch of people in seats. It's about making disciples, people who are growing in their faith. 
So you say, okay, that's great. We understand what a disciple is. How do you make disciples? And when you ask that question, you're really saying, what does a follower of Jesus look like? Because a, a, a disciple is an apprentice of Jesus. So if you look at Jesus and the people following him around are probably his disciples. So how do you make Jesus followers? What does it look like to have a relationship and, and have a Jesus follower relationship? Well, if you've been coming to hope for any length of time, you understand that is all we focus on. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. And so for us, we say, you want to know what a Jesus follower looks like? It's somebody who abides in Christ. It's somebody who connects in community. And it's somebody who shares in the mission. This has nothing to do with a book, although that book is awesome. And Vance unpacks that in that book. But just like he stood up here a few minutes ago and said, this is the story of Hope Church. Since 2001, we have been about making disciples, which means people who abide in Christ, connect in community, and share in the mission. So we're going to be about showing you to abide in Christ and spend time with the Lord. We're going to be about connecting you to other believers because you can't do the Christian life alone. So when you walk outside today, there's going to be a huge display that is all about connecting you in a small group. Why? Because if you're a Christian trying to live on a little Christian island, you aren't doing what God has called you to do. And that's not the best way you can grow as a believer. You got to be around other people. So we're trying to get you connected in some small groups. Why? Because that's what you got to do to be a good Christian? No, because that's what you do to flourish in a relationship with Jesus, is you get around other, other people that have a relationship with Jesus. And sharing in the mission, what is that? That is what we're talking about today, sharing the gospel with the people around you because he wants them to know him too. And he's going to use you to introduce them. That is what a disciple looks like. So here we are, Acts chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, just a little recap. They are pursuing God through the word of God and prayer. They are serving one another. They are sharing the gospel. They are making disciples. And here's the last thing we see. We must engage the city. Check out the end of this verse. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And check this part out. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. That might be something you just breezed by and didn't really think much of. And that's a massive deal. Here's what that just said. The priests are the Jewish priests in the temple. So they see all these new Christians pursuing God together, serving one another out of their abundance and their poverty, spreading the gospel, discipling each other at Hebrew coffee shops. And these priests are over there and they're saying, you know what? I want what they have because clearly I don't have the life and the vitality and the community that those people have. And those people are Jesus followers. So what does it say? That the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. What is this? This is a picture of what happens when Jesus followers act like Jesus followers in their city, in their community, in their neighborhood, in their cubicle, in their homes. People see our lives, not us and our, 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 good, our good conduct and behavior, but Jesus in us. And they say, hey, I want some of that because I don't have what you have. Some of you have had those conversations where people look at your life and say, I don't have what you have. Tell me more about it. We must engage the city. This is important because as we look to a new year, as we are in this new year, we have to understand that just because it happened in the Bible, that doesn't mean that's some far off fairy tale. That can happen right now. How? As we seek God, as we serve one another, as we share the gospel, as we are discipling and teaching each other and sharpening each other, what's going to happen? People are going to take notice. The same God who did that in Acts chapter 6 is the same God that is in you right now in the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus. We can and will see this happen. And so as we close here today, here is what 
I kind of rewrote Acts chapter 6, verse 7 for our context. Again, this isn't a hope or a prayer. We believe this can and will happen as we trust Jesus, serve one another, and, and, and share the gospel and disciple people. So the gospel continued to spread. And the number of Jesus followers increased greatly in Las Vegas, the West, and the world. And many of the leaders in the city were becoming Jesus followers. I want you to look at that and I want you to think, do I really believe that? Because we saw the same God do it in the Bible. We've seen the same God do it all throughout history. You're here today because God was at work in people's lives to bring you to a point of coming and sitting and hearing a guy talk about the Bible for 30 minutes because you want to learn more about Jesus. So we believe this can happen. How? As we seek the Lord together as a church by prioritizing the word of God and prayer as we serve one another, we need God in you. If you are not serving right now, let's get involved. Let's do this thing together. God has equipped you and we need your gifts. And we do this by spreading the word, sharing the gospel, making disciples. That will engage the city. People will take notice of that. Not to grow our church, but to grow the kingdom. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, I thank you for your word today. God, all day we've just seen you work and move, not by a man's words or a service, but by your word doing what your word does. The Bible says it's living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you for the way you have cut into this room today. And God, I just pray right now as we take a few minutes to respond that you would move and work and have your way. I thank you for all the literally hundreds of ways you're speaking to other people you're speaking to people exactly where they need to be spoken to. So God, I pray that they would be obedient to listen and to pause and to let you work and move in their lives right now. So we just take a few minutes to respond. Uh, maybe for you, you are like I kind of admitted I was earlier. Man, you're a busy person. You got some kids, you got a family, you got a demanding job, and you got a lot going on. And so when you hear a message like this about getting involved in mission, and you might be really, really, really passionate and doing a great job with meaningful things. But if you're honest like me, sometimes you miss out on the main thing. You're going, man, I, I, I haven't really had a mission focus. God gave us a command to make disciples. And I got to be honest with you, I hadn't really been doing or even thinking about that in a long time. That's where I was this week. I got to be honest, as I'm spending time with the Lord preparing this message, just being transparent, I go, man, I'm about to get on this stage and talk about this. And, and I have to evaluate. I've been so caught up in some things that I've kind of missed out on the mission the last few weeks and months of my life. Maybe for you, you have to do what I did this week and just a fresh surrender. God, I, I want to be involved in your mission. I want to be a disciple maker. I want to be somebody who's being used mightily of you. Help me to have your eyes. Help me to have your ears, your hands as I walk and live in my cubicle, in my, in my car, with my, with my friends, in my home, in my school. Maybe for you, that's what today is. Just a, a reminder, a gospel reminder of the call that God has placed on our lives as Jesus followers. Confess that to him today. Ask him to move and empower you. This isn't shame. This isn't heaping, heaping conviction on you. Maybe this is just a reminder for you that this is what God has called us to. Let's walk in it. Maybe for you it's the reality that you've never heard 
the gospel and what we just unpacked, the good news that Jesus came to this earth, God in the flesh to die a death. He didn't deserve to die. We deserved it, but he died so that you could actually live the life you were intended to live. Some of you right now are, are carrying a weight that you were never designed to carry and you want to give up and you want to say, I can't do it. That You're right. You can't do it. But God has already done it. He said on the cross, it is finished. Drop the weight. I love, there was a, there was a lady named Susan that came up in the last service. She came up to me and she said, I, I, I want to be saved. Praise God. That is somebody hearing the message of Jesus and saying, that's me today. I would love to introduce you to a Next Steps volunteer, and we can show you from the Bible. This is, you're not beginning a religion today. You're beginning a relationship with a friend who truly loves you enough to go to the cross for you. So maybe today, you are here right now, not by accident, but for salvation. To be saved of the sin that you're desperately trying to figure out how to get rid of, and you can't. Jesus has already paid it. Maybe for others of you, just like every week, there's just, it's just been a rough week. There's been some things that happened and some diagnosis and some, and, some, and some financial things or some stuff in your family. And every week we have an opportunity to pray for the people in our church as pastors. We're gonna be up here in just a moment when we stand and sing. Maybe you just wanna be prayed for. It's such a joy for us as your pastors to, to, to pray for you and pray that God does a mighty work in your situation. That's what this time is for. Maybe for you, you want to come up to this altar and just spend some time with the Lord crying out to a God who is truly, truly great and desires great things for us. So God, we right now ask you to do what you do. Holy Spirit, we trust you. You are truly great. We're not just going to sing it in a song in a minute. We believe that. We have seen that. We've lived that. You are great. Pray for those that need to be saved today. Pray for those that need to confess to you just a, a lack of, of, of care for the mission that you would just not condemn them like you will not do. You will encourage them with your word and your truth that you are at work in their lives. I pray for that. I pray for people that need to be prayed for. Pray you just allow them to respond however it is that they need to respond. God, you are in control right now. We trust you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.